Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Dairy Pod. I'm Rory McDonald of Gibbs Dairy and on today's podcast, with many farmers currently in the process of selecting bulls for 2020 spring calving and the upcoming breeding period, I spoke to vet Dr. E. Cheng Oi on daughter fertility and its importance in your breeding program. I started off by asking Yi Cheng if she felt there was much opportunity to improve reproductive performance on Australian dairy herds. I guess you can answer that question on two different levels, Rory. I think that on an industry level, yes. I think that as an industry, we can do a better job of improving reproductive performance. But I think that the people listening to your podcast are individual farmers. And so the question to ask them is, can you improve fertility or is there room to improve fertility on an individual farm? Yeah. Um, so I guess farmers... I mean, they're all really busy people and there's heaps of things to think about, like um, you've got to think about growing grass and doing tractor work and milking your cows and other things too, like your fun, like taking care of your family and maybe even potentially going on a holiday once in a yeah. while. Um, important too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the question is, um, in all the things that you're doing in your day-to-day work, should you be spending more of your time or should fertility be a higher priority for your farm? Yeah, and how much you, how much you kind of ask your answer that question like uh, if you're an individual farmer out there what what are the the key indicators that would suggest that it is a th- an important thing to look at yeah okay well again i think there's two different ways you can answer that um in the past we've um, pulled benchmarks for dairy farmers for reproductive performance um, and these were based upon data collected in the um, australian dairy herd fertility study in the 1990s um, and what they found was that the top 25 percent of farmers then could achieve a 71 percent six weeking calf rate um, in a seasonal split calving farm yeah um i think that that's a good benchmark to aim for but it doesn't really tell you much about how fertility is important for profitability on your farm. Okay. And it doesn't really tell you much about how to adapt um, to how important fertility should be on your dairy farm system. So I think that if you want to f- if you want to figure out if fertility should be a higher priority for you, I think there's three different questions that farmers can ask themselves. Um, I think the first question is, um, are you able to maintain your herd structure or are you able to grow your herd over time if that's what you're aiming to do? Yeah. So um, growth is a pretty simple, it's a self-explanatory one. Yeah, and a lot of farmers might have slightly differing herd sizes depending on the season or, or if, what stage of development the farm is at as well. Yeah, exactly. And particularly if you believe in having a closed herd, then your only way of growing is by um, rearing replacements, basically. Yep. Um, so that's the first question that um, links fertility to profitability. The second question for farmers would be, are you carving at a time of year that best suits you and your farm system? So from a cost of production perspective, um, when you have the most grass available, if you're a pasture-based dairy, yep. um, then you should be carving your, most of your cows down so that their feed needs are matching your pasture curve to reduce the amount of inputs you have to buy for your farm. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I think Richard Shepherd touched on that recently in a, in a separate episode. Oh, it's yeah. very similar um, okay. sentiments he shared. Yes, I, I agree with that. And I think it's not also just about cost of production, but there are other reasons why farmers might choose to carve at a particular time of year. So if you have a very wet farm, for example, you might want to choose to carve um, outside of that window so you can get the cows in the grass. Or if you have a football commitment, for example, you might want to carve, to carve cows down at a particular time too so I think yeah. that's a really important thing yeah so <coughs> getting back then I guess to the the in calf rate this you mentioned a six weekend calf rate of about 70 71 percent and you Can know I, that sounds pretty good uh, relatively to most farmers that you relatively speaking compared to a lot of farms you would see out there at the moment yeah so 
I think that's important to discuss that metric, but just going back a little bit, Rory, I think there's one more question that farmers need to ask themselves, um, and that is, are you maintaining sustainable replacement rate? Yeah. Um, because heifer rearing is a massive cost to your business. So having good fertility allows you to control that, and it's more about control and profitability rather than hitting an individual metric. Yeah. But still, the metric is what we have for farmers to aim for. So I think when I use that 71% figure, it depends upon the type of farm you have. So if you're a seasonal calving herd um, and you have crossbreeds, for example, then I would say you could actually push for a slightly higher six-weeking calf rate than seven. Yeah, and you see in other countries, for example, that people get as high as 90% yes. uh, at the very top level. Like our friends over at New Zealand. Hey? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's so true. Um, and I think that if you run a, a really big black and white Holstein herd and you're a split calving system, um, perhaps that 71% might be a bit ambitious for you. So I'd say it yeah. really depends upon your farm. Yeah, and um, sometimes a lot of people in the industry would, would talk about fertility and discuss it in terms of their empty rate, but mm-hmm. personally I'd probably suggest that that can be a bit flawed, that metric, compared to the six-week in calf rate, and I think you, you commented on this as well previously. <laughs> like, often empty rates doesn't take into account how long your cows are being joined for, Yeah. Um, so that's probably an important point to bear in mind if you are talking about those. Yeah, that's correct, Rory. So it can be a good measure if you never change the length of your joining period and you're comparing yourself to yourself year in, year out. But when you start using it to compare yourself to other farms or compare yourself to um, other years when you've changed the length of your joining period, then it can be a very tricky measure to get your head around. Yeah, yeah. So someone with like a 21-week joining period might have a 5% empty rate. Which doesn't really mean much, does it? Yeah, if you've got a six-week joining period, then that's you can't compare those. Two you can't, yeah, of yeah. course. So, yeah, it probably is uh, worth farmers bearing that in mind when people are tossing around empty rates on yeah. their farms and, and you're maybe considering how, how you're doing on yourself on your own farm. Mm. Um, so, I guess building on that a little bit, then, um, you know, a lot of people would suggest, and we probably we talked about this previously as well, that there's there's probably two pillars, I guess, to to breeding management or fertility in general. There's all the kind of the management aspects to, to dairy cow fertility, and they might be your uh, heat detection um, standards or your um, heifer uh, heifer rearing standards in terms of target weights, etc., or even the body condition score of the cows at at mating. All th- all things that are controlled by management, I guess, and and there's a multitude of other things. Um, and then there's a separate kind of a pillar which it more focuses on the genetic side of of mm-hmm. fertility, uh, where we talk about selecting the correct bulls to breed your replacements and and breeding for an inherently more fertile cow and that has been shown i guess to be more to be uh, fertility is a relative is a heritable trait moderately heritable trait so you can breed to improve that and um, i think we want to just go into a bit more detail you, you've done some work on that uh, um, up at the Rochester Vet Clinic um, and uh, just going to ask you to share maybe some of that with us. Yeah, sure. Um, I think talking about those two pillars, as you call them, um, it makes sense to fit them into the historical background behind fertility in the Australian dairy industry. Um, so we know, we all know that fertility has been in decline for the last 20 or 30 years Um, and because fertility is really difficult to see with your own eyes um, we had to ensure that this was actually taking place. It was a gradual almost. It was a very gradual thing. Um, So in the 1990s they did the Australian Dairy Herd Fertility Project and what they found was that yes what farmers were seeing on the ground was true there was a decline in fertility and that was happening all over the world. 
Yeah. So in the late 1990s, early 2000s, the uh, what was then the Dairy Research and Development Corporation, which is now Dairy Australia, they pioneered two initiatives to try and halt that decline. The first initiative was the in-calf extension project. So that focused yeah. very much upon that first pillar you talked about. So looking at what management practices could be changed and how that could be used to improve fertility. And the second pillar was the development of the daughter fertility Australian breeding value. So trying to allow farmers to select bulls that had are more fertile daughters than other bulls because prior to that farmers had no idea because it took yeah. years to you know get daughters to the stage where and people tended yeah. to select on milk production traits yes. really and, and yeah. uh, nothing else uh, in in that time frame so so moving forward then as you said in the early 2000s they developed a, a daughter fertility sub index but they, they actually reformed that index again in mm. in 2013 yeah, and correct. added some more traits to yes. it so the original daughter fertility ABV was based primarily upon calving interval, um, and that's in line with what was happening around the world at the time. A lot of other countries were using that measure, um, but unfortunately it suffers from two problems. The first yeah. problem is that it's really heavily influenced by management factors in split and seasonal systems, um, because we choose mating start dates and we voluntarily choose not to breed cows when you're not in the joining period. Yeah. Um, and the second problem was that it relied upon a cow giving birth a second time, because you can't have a measure for calving interval unless you have at least two calvings. That's right. So yeah. if a cow, for argument's sake, ha came into a herd or had really poor fertility, had a calf and didn't calf again for two years yeah. um, or potentially was culled before she mm -hmm. uh, had a chance to have another calf if she was at a you know a, a more mature stage of her life, that cow did... Th th those animals weren't accounted for in yeah. that for in that index. Yes, and so that introduced a, a bias into the ABV, which is yeah. not desirable. So in 2013, they released the new multi-trait daughter fertility ABV. So it's based not just on calving interval, but moderates that using lactation length. Um, and it also looks at things like calving to first service. It looks at non-return rate and includes some preg rate into there as well to make it a more accurate and reliable ABV. Yeah. It also increased the number of bulls that had a publishable ABV. So it, it definitely improved the reliability overall. Yeah, great, yeah. So I guess, you know, moving on into what your piece of work looked at, I guess you said you told me before that you're a skeptic by nature, naturally. <laughs> so, and I guess I suspect a lot of farmers might be thinking, this daughter fertility stuff is only not going to make much difference or it probably doesn't really work or it may not work. But you wanted to actually go out there and actually test that. And that was that was what your project looked at. Yeah. Does the does selection for bulls with a higher value, a higher Australian breeding value for daughter fertility actually result in increased levels of dairy fertility on the ground yeah. in those cows? So as a dairy vet, I was working as a reproductive consultant with farmers, trying to find the best ways to improve their herd. Um, and I, I really loved the idea of the daughter fertility ABV because, I mean, the other management areas are really difficult. If you want to try and overhaul someone's transition management program or trying to get them to rear their heifers better, it's really hard to do those things and expensive. Yeah. So most of the farmers I worked with were already selecting bulls with, to use for artificial insemination. So all I wanted them to do was to try and pick bulls above a certain threshold for the daughter fertility ABV. Like that's not okay. a very hard thing to do. But the more I talked to farmers, the more I realised that there were farmers that didn't, that weren't really doing that. And um, when I talked to them about it, they said, look, I'm not sure if 
you can improve fertility using genetic selection. Yeah, they had well, some doubts about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. They, they said, oh, I don't know about the data that goes into calculating the ABV, or I don't know if it's a reliable thing. So okay. I thought, well, why don't we test this? It looks great on paper, but let's actually take real farm data and see if cows with a higher daughter fertility ABV actually perform better reproductively in yeah. real life than cows with lower daughter fertility ABVs. Okay, so how did you go about doing that? Yeah, so at the time I was a dairy clinical resident at Rochester Vet Practice, so working full-time in Northern Victoria, but I was also doing a thesis with the University of Melbourne as well. Um, And so part of my master's thesis involved this project where I went out and recruited 38 farmers from our client base, and we identified them as good record keepers that were doing early pregnancy testing and some form of herd testing. I went out to those farms, I interviewed them about their thoughts and feelings about the daughter fertility ABV, and then okay. I actually went with a USB and collected their herd records off their computers, as yeah. is. That was going back, you went back many years to those herd records. Well, I just collected whatever I could from those 38 herds. And when I put them into a single database, I wasn't sure what I was going to get. Okay. But what I ended up with was a database of 87,000 cows with birth dates ranging as far back as 1965. So farmers had wow. been collecting data for generations on some of those farms. Um, and I had about... At 220,000 carving records and about 440,000 mating and protest records. So I, I happened to end up with this really massive study, which was pretty great. So with, with those kind of numbers that you had, I Ching, then it's obvious then that the study was can be was pretty robust and statistically significant and you had kind of strong confidence in the results that you did see. Yeah. So um, because the study was so large, um, statistical significance was... Um, it was fine, um, but you still have to take into account things like clinical significance. So we know that the results were not due to chance, but that doesn't rule out. Um, you, you still have to think about other aspects of the yeah, study as yeah. well. Yeah. So, so then what, what what did you observe? Like I guess, and what, what were the initial findings? Like uh, when you compared the the daughter fertility ABV for these animals against their actual phenotypic or actual performance in the field? Yeah, so what I did was for each of those 87,000 cows, I calculated an estimated daughter fertility ABV for each of them by looking at their sire and their maternal grandsire. And then I went and looked at the performance of those cows in terms of six-week in calf rate, first service conception rate um, and six-week in calf rate um, for each of the mating periods that they were involved in. And so what I found, what I did then was build a regression model Okay. So um, I won't go into great depth, but basically what I did was I um, collected, I had looked at the outcome, which was in conception rate or six-week in calf rate um, and, or submission rate, and then I looked at all the variables that could con- contribute to those outcomes okay, yeah. and controlled for them because there are so many things that can contribute to reproductive performance. It was really important to collect that data yeah. and try and build a robust a model without that bias. So you were able to correct for those influences at all of those things? Yeah, so had. things like age, yeah. um, I corrected for days carved, a mating start date, I corrected for production, so milk yield, as well as protein percentage, um, yeah. birth year, for conception rate, I controlled for heat stress risk. So all those things need to be adjusted for if you yeah, want to so, have a robust. So you covered off on a lot of areas that may affect these results and skew the yeah. the final outcome. And then, so what were the final outcomes that you did get then? Was there, was there much of an association between 
the daughter fertility ABV and, and the six week and calf rate are the or the other metrics that you looked at? Yeah, so actually I found that there was a positive association between the daughter fertility ABV and each of those three measures of reproductive performance. Um, it wasn't enormous yep. association, so it was sort of within the range of a 2 to 6% increase per okay, point yeah. of ABB for each of those things. So, for example, one point of the daughter fertility ABV for the Holstein Frisians was associated with, a, I think, a 2.6% increase in submission rate. And it's important to note that that's not a um, percentage point increase, but a relative percentage. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, just to explain that a little bit more clearly, if you had a, a submission rate of... 70% say mm-hmm. and um, you, you said that you had a 2.6% increase for every daughter fertility ABV score above yep. 100 yeah uh, that's 2.6% of 70 yeah no, n- not an extra per- 2.6% not 72.6% yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah I think uh, yeah hopefully yeah. people can uh, can follow that <laughs> yeah so but it's still relatively kind of um significant when you cu- when you add up those cumulative effects over a number of years. Yeah, so that's just an effect of a one-point increase. So you can yeah. actually get a bull with maybe four or five or even ten points higher than yeah, one. Yeah, which would be a dramatic increase. Then, yes, which would be a dramatic increase. Yeah, um, yeah. And as you mentioned, it is permanent and cumulative over time. So as long yeah. as you're focused in your breeding objectives over a sufficient period, you should be able to get some fairly significant change in your herd over time. Yeah, and I think th- that's been borne out in some other countries as well where, pe- where farmers have really, other dairy industries have really really selected hard for mm-hmm. fertility mm-hmm. and and daughter fertility and 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 the and on the ground the fertility of the herd in the, in those countries has really lifted and improved yeah. so that that offers some good hope then that this is a long term kind of viable strategy to improve dairy herd fertility then in the country yes it's so it's a long term strategy so it's important to note that Within my study, when I looked at the herds on average, it took about five years to increase their average daughter fertility ABVs by 1.5 points. So that's okay. a, a long period of time because obviously your herd isn't just composed of 100% heifers. There's yeah. lots of older cows there too, so the turnover has to happen to get higher. So it could take five years to totally turn over. In, in theory, you shouldn't be. You should hopefully get five years out of every cow. That's what you aim for when you bring her into the herd. Well, so, more hopefully. Well, hopefully. That doesn't always happen in practice, as we know. But um, yeah. um, so, like, if your replacement rate was, I don't know, 20% per year, you know, over the course of five years, you will replace all those, mm-hmm. those every animal in the herd then on average. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, in terms of the long-term kind of, um, th- th- there is a... a it seems like there's a good um, benefit to this approach then, Yi Ching, would you say? Yeah, yeah, there is. There definitely is. And it's as, as I said before, it's a very easy one to do. So if you're already selecting bulls for artificial insemination, just make sure that they have a reasonable daughter fertility ABV. Yeah, um, yeah. And I guess yeah, that's a good point. Then how might farmers implement this in practice then? Yeah. The, the, the Australian breeding value, or the ABV, is the daughter fertility sub-index, as we said. And that's, yeah. that's fairly... That should be well. Should be pretty clear on every bull you select. You know, yeah, that's right. There's so much information out there, and I would say that to any farmer, I'd say select the highest order fertility ABV you can without sacrificing your other traits. Because yeah. um, if production is important to you, if that's something you want to see in the cows you're breeding, then you don't want to sacrifice that for fertility. Yeah. But fertility is important. And there are so many bulls out there nowadays with really good fertility and a great range of other traits. That's right. I think it, the point was raised recently in a meeting we had that a few years ago that wasn't the case. No. If you wanted to achieve 
um, if you wanted to pick a bull with really high daughter fertility, say 108 or 110, mm -hmm. um, you would have to, you would literally have only a couple of bulls to pick from. Whereas yeah. in nowadays, there's multiples, there's far more bulls available in that range. Yeah, that's right. So you can sort of have your cake and eat it too. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because for a long time, that was always an argument that you couldn't select for production traits or other traits that farmers found desirable mm -hmm. and fertility mm -hmm. um, but you feel that uh, that's no longer the case now? No I think that the report coming back is that certainly for the Holstein Frisian breed it's hard to find bulls with a negative daughter fertility ABV so certainly the range has increased and I think bull companies have responded to farmer demand in that area. Yeah. Yeah. And just to clarify uh, a daughter fertility ABV of 100 means that you're an average that's the Australian average. Yes, that's the average for that breed. Yeah. And it's not interchangeable between breeds as well. Yeah. So a Jersey with a Jersey bull with a, a value of 100 is very different from, say, a Holstein Frisian bull with a value of 100. Yeah. And that sort of gets updated on a five-yearly basis. Okay. So if you want to, if you select bulls with 110 for argument's sake, mm -hmm. and you put them across your herd, which might have an average of, well, 103 or 4, or it could be 98, 99, anything, yeah, depending. Yeah. Uh, your your replacements from those animals, your replacement heifers that you breed from those um, from that those bulls and, and, and your herd will will automatically have a higher daughter fertility ABV than the ones that are existing in the herd right now. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so because each animal has half of its genes from its mother and half of its genes from its father, you'll see a sort of a half contribution from the parent, from each parent. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I guess it's quite important to have an idea of what the, the overall herd ABV level is for daughter fertility for your own herd as well, not just for the bulls you're picking. Um, yeah, so I suppose that if you had a, an extremely fertile herd of, say, 108 average, for example, and you're using bulls with 104, then I suppose you would see a decrease in the overall yeah. fertility of your herd. So, so the, the more fertile your herd is, then the more you need to use higher fertile bulls in order to maintain that, if you were that inherent to, fertility. Yeah, if you were trying to do that, then yes. Yeah. So I think that there's a tool out there that might help people wanting to find out their herd or see how their herd's daughter fertility ABV is. So yep. I know Data Gene produced the genetics progress reports or genetics futures reports, so they can be a useful tool to see where the genetic um, trends for your herd and are. And every farmer can, can get access to that for their herd. I believe that it's through herd testing. Um, so I know that's probably the best yeah. way of doing it, but I'm not sure if there's any other way at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, yeah, well, it sounds like you're... The outcome eventually, to summarise, of your project was a success in that the daughter fertility ABV does work yes. and it does improve fertility on a medium to long term basis. But but the gains are going to be relatively small, but, but cumulative over time. Yeah, so I, th I guess that's another outcome of the study, Rory. It's that if you look at, if you look at say, for example, what I found, um, I found that one point of the daughter fertility ABV for Holstein Frisians was worth, say, a two point, or it was worth a like a three percent increase in um, the likelihood of submission in the first 21 days. But having a cow calved 65 days before mating start date was worth a 71% increase in the likelihood of submission. Which is a management factor. It's a management say. factor. So I would say that in the long term, certainly a focus on genetics is important. But in the short term, if you want to make improvements, I would say that management is still the way to go. Yeah. Um, so you can have a combined approach effectively, like, uh, yeah. you know, taking care of the the breeding and the and the bull selection side of things by making sure you're getting the highest daughter fertility bulls that you can, mm -hmm. uh, whilst also making sure that those management aspects that we spoke about are, are also on, on point and in, in the right place. Yeah. 
But I, I think it's I think it's quite hard for farmers because we say to them, right, here are the eight key management areas that you need to work on to improve your herd's reproductive performance. And geez, that's a lot of areas. We're yeah. talking heifers, transition cows, nutrition, bulls, body like condition, body condition, yeah. heat detection, and that's a lot for someone to do. So I think what farmers need to be doing if they wanted to improve management is to have a look at the data they collect and then identify the two or three key areas that they need, that they need to focus on that year to get the best marginal return on their investment of time and money. Yeah. And, and that's, that's different for every farm. That's correct, yeah. I think that's where th- th- that data collection is important. When you say that, you're talking about preg test results, mm. um, mating uh, re- re- recording of mating dates for each uh, cow, um, calving dates, all of those things that give you that picture. Yeah. Um, submission rates and conception rates for even almost, you could argue even for different AI technicians if they're on the farm, because there's loads of different factors that can affect the management of fertility. Yeah, that's right. I think early pregnancy testing is a really big one, um, but certainly all of those pieces of data can help you analyse your farm to figure out where the biggest gap is. So something yeah. as simple as like calving dates or birth dates, um, they can tell you the age structure of your herd. And if you've got a very large percentage of nine plus year old cows, then that can tell you immediately that there's something you need to focus on. Um, and I think if collecting that data, uh, I've, I think that when farmers make decisions, especially really expensive decisions about what they're going to do on their farm, yeah. if they can back that up with data, they can, exactly, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. can actually monitor their progress. It's as better well. than just gut, gut feel, although sometimes yeah. there's nothing wrong with that, but it's probably going to be more more valuable to you if you have actually some numbers to back up a decision. Yeah, make. like let me give you an example. I've, I've met farmers who are really keen to put in collars, so automated heat detection, and that's a great thing. But if they're doing it to improve the fertility of their herd and their existing three-week submission rate is, say, 85 or 90 percent, they actually won't see a great yeah. increase from installing the collars. They might see labour savings, um, which can be really useful. Yeah. But if they have, say, a 15% conception rate or if they have a 22% milk fever rate, then I'd say that that money might be better invested in looking at another aspect. Addressing of that aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, of course, you could invest that that money in the automated heat detection in that scenario just you just described and actually realise that you're achieving all of the benefits of of that in any case mm. through your good management elsewhere yeah you know, in so terms of heat detection you only have a limited amount of time and a limited amount of money so you should put it to where you can make the biggest difference yeah so get the best bang for your yeah book. and it's yeah. different from every farm like so some farmers i meet their heifers really need work they're really skinny and then they're yeah. sort of getting joined at the wrong age and um, so that's where the best investment of time could be in addressing that problem yeah. Yeah. in other farms they do all the insemination themselves and they haven't you know maybe their son takes over and he hasn't got much experience so perhaps training him up or using a professional might be a better gain for them so it really depends upon the farm yeah 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 no i think that's some really good points there Ching, and uh, hopefully it's something that we can continue to you know encourage improvement in the the whole area of fertility and Mm -hmm. and as as richard shepherd recently said on this podcast it just gives you more control of your farming system and Mm -hmm. and a better management of risk and 
and and more and and it has been shown to be a big uh, profit driver as well on yeah on, on a lot of the dairy farming systems that we deal with yeah and I think it's also about farmer choice as well so you make the choice about when you want your cows to calve and then you want them to do it at that time yeah and, and you so make that choice for a reason because yes. it's the best time for you yeah. and fits in with your other farm goals or this the type of farm you have or your location or whatever mm, yeah so fertility is really important for that okay well, thank you very much, Yiching. I think that was uh, some really interesting information and some good advice there as well. So appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having me, Rory. Appreciate it. Thanks very much to Yiching for that excellent information on the importance of considering daughter fertility when selecting bulls for AI. Stay tuned for more Dairy Pod episodes very soon and subscribe on the Apple Podcast platform and on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>